Well, thanks, Jared. Thanks, kids crew and everybody there. <laughs> um, that last song has a picture of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Um, and John, who's seeing what's going on in, in heaven, he's, he's weeping and weeping because nobody's found worthy to open the scroll to righteously judge the earth, to divide what's the good from the bad and what's happened at the end of the age. And then Christ, who's the lamb that was slain, he's the one who's worthy to open the scroll. He's the one who can do it. And so today as we're going through this series called Missional Life, we're talking about this idea of justice. And as we've been following a series here called Missional Life, we've been doing something that's a little different. Um, normally I'm pretty big on writing all my own sermons, doing all my own content, and not preaching something else. But as we've been doing this uh, Bible study with our young adults over the past year called The Missional Life, we're like, this is just such good stuff. And they have like a, a whole church thing with sermons that goes with it. I'm like, we need to do this with our whole church. So what we've done for this series is these are actually sermons that I've got to modify from someone else, which is kind of neat, you know, kind of new for me. Uh, but you're going to hear stories in here that are some other people's stories as well and some content that other people has put together. And so I want to be, you know, both clear about that from the beginning, but also just I'm so grateful uh, for how we've been talking about these topics in the missional life. We talked about God and who he is, the message of the gospel, what it means to be ambassadors of Christ, the role we have in conversations with our friends and just telling them about who Jesus is and how he's setting things to right and how he wants to save us. And then today we're talking about, again, justice, how it's part of it. We're going to go on to talk about work and about pace and ambition and all these things that are part of our lives. But today it's talking about justice. Now, if I say the word justice, we're all going to have different ideas of what that means, right? What is justice? I know um, recently there was a church that we know in Toronto, part of our, our family of churches, our fellowship of churches, and the pastor got a call that they needed some help for two or three refugees. We'll watch a video later about it, and he'll tell the story, fill in any details that, that I missed. And then when they got the call to actually host the refugees, there was 20-something refugees and it turns out that uh, both people in their, in their church started hosting, and eventually their whole sanctuary in Toronto has been a place for people to live the past several months and to host them as they've been waiting um, to get settled in Canada, and some of them moved to other places in Canada. And we can probably agree, like, that's the church doing justice, right? That's the church taking something wrong and making it right, giving people that don't have housing a place to stay, welcoming them in Canada when they've been taken out of a different country because of something that's unjust that's happened there. That's just like one of those clear-cut things, right? We talk about justice with a bunch of definitions, a bunch of ideas about what that means. Because how do we think about justice as a culture, right? And what does that mean as an individual, like day-to-day, -day, how do I do justice? Um, and we think about, you know, the big issues, right? We talk about, like, systemic evil and racism and police brutality. We talk about inequality and creation care. Like, how much of that is what God's heart is? How much of that is just cultural messages, right? How, how do we sort those things out? What is God's heart on different issues? And, of course, we've had different opinions, different things informing us, different ideas about what that all means. So as Christians, do we have a role and responsibility in all of those things or some of those things? Like, what, what do we do about that, right? And so if you're anything like me, and I think most of us, you know, have felt some of this tension, right, of, yeah, we have this desire for justice, and we know that Jesus is going to bring about justice, but what does that look like? What does that mean for us right now? And, and there's another complicating factor, just because, you know, it's not complicated enough, is that we often do justice, and we do it along with people that don't share our faith, right? 
So, you know, when we do evangelism, right, if we're telling people about Jesus, what he's done for us, who he is, that he has come to save the world and restore things and make all things well, like, that is a Christian message, right? Like, we're kind of on our own. We're Christians. Christians are going to do that, right? Job of the church, right? But justice, very often we're working with people that don't have a faith at all or are of a different faith or who claim totally different beliefs. But, but we're united when we do justice that we do it together. So often doing justice means partnering with different people. So I think, first of all, again, we just want to ask this question of what is justice, right? Because even our world is very divided on ideas of what does that mean? Is justice fairness? Is it equity? Is it equality? How are we defining those terms, right? Is it checking our privilege? Is it being an ally? Is it solidarity? What is justice? And again, you know, the ideas of justice go back all the way to the philosophers, right? If you're going to talk about Aristotle or Aquinas or Hume, you're going to have all these ideas of, oh, this is what justice is about. So sometimes people talk about, like, what's the greatest good? Justice is maximizing the welfare of the greatest number of people. I was a philosophy major, so if you want to rabbit hole this with me, we, we can do that sometime. Uh, maybe it's respecting freedom, right? Maybe it's about individual human freedom and the rights and freedoms that we have. Or maybe it's about promoting virtue. Maybe justice is about people acting as they ought to act. And underneath justice, of course, the core of it, what you get to when you scratch the surface just a little bit about justice, is the question of morality. What is right? And what actually is good? And how do we agree on what the good is that we're working towards? Lots of ideas about what that means, right? Lots of differences between people's ideas of what's moral and what's not, and the Christian definitions of what's moral and what's not. But also with that, what's the role of religion itself? Not just Christianity, right? But if you're, if you're a Muslim, if you're, if you're Jewish, if you're Sikh, if you're Hindu, what's the role of religion? Is it the foundation of justice? Or is religion an obstacle to justice? Is religion the reliever of oppression or is it the cause of oppression, right? And then the conversations we have with people and the headlines that we read, this can be confusing. It leaves us confused, right? And so how we approach justice, um, as I was going through this, this series and I was kind of like looking at the content, it just kept making me think of this backpack idea, right? Um, and I don't think this is in the original notes, but I was looking at this and I'm like, it's just kind of like this backpack right here. This backpack I've had since I started my master's degree. I bought it because it was leather and it would, you know, last forever and it certainly has. It's a little scratched up, but it's been with me a long time. And so when we think about justice, I think a lot of times justice is like the backpack. Because sometimes what we do is we, we can compartmentalize justice. This is kind of like the apathetic posture. It's like justice is, it's over there. Justice is something separate. This is kind of the apathetic posture. Like, Justice is the job of the police. It's the job of lawyers, the job of politicians. Sometimes for us, it's the job of everybody but the police, right, depending on what your view is. Maybe, maybe justice is just for them. And maybe, maybe what I'll do, if justice is a separate thing, I'll pick it up once in a while. So I'm going to do justice. I'm going to volunteer, right, have some volunteerism. I'm, I'm going to help out once in a while at a food bank. And so I'm going to do justice, but kind of like once in a while. It's going to be the edge of my consciousness in this individual level. Or, maybe that's not your posture. Maybe for you with justice, you're going to perform it. 
It is front and center all the time. It is the first thing anybody sees when they're looking at you. This is like the hyperactive justice posture. Like, justice is my identity. But not just doing justice, but making sure that you're thinking about justice and that you're doing the right thing and I'm platforming the right causes and I'm showing the right things. And justice isn't just about what I do or who I am, but I want to make sure that I'm presenting it all the time. Sometimes it's the hyperactive justice posture. And then, in Christian circles, maybe you or somebody else has encountered this. Maybe it's the dismissive posture. Maybe you're not sure about justice. Maybe you're just like, I don't know about that justice stuff. I don't know about what justice really means. I don't know about the agenda of what's going on here. Maybe things are sneaking into this justice conversation that we're not aware of. Maybe there's a hidden agenda with justice. Maybe it's just too much about what our culture thinks. So maybe you've had a suspicious posture towards justice, or maybe you've encountered people that have a suspicious posture towards justice. But none of those involve just simply walking around with a backpack and just putting it on and just having justice be one of the things we carry as a Christian. One of the things that God's called us to do as we go about our lives. What it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be just because God is just. Sometimes we talk about burdens and backpacks, right? That you can help people with things, but there's things that we carry that are our responsibility to grow the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience, kindness, righteousness, self-control. Those continue on from the Old Testament idea of justice. See, Christian justice is where we want to start, right? We don't want to start with the French Revolution. We don't want to start with the philosophers. We don't even want to start with social justice half a century ago or a century ago. We want to start with what did God say in the Bible? Because as Christians, that's our foundation. What has God said in creation and through his people, through Jesus Christ, and as he points towards eternity through the church? What, what, do we, what does God say about justice? So here's what one person said. I'm going to do a few different quotes here from a few different sources, and then I'm going to give you the name afterwards. So one person says this. He says, I didn't see what I later came to realize. That in fact, the Bible provides the very basis for justice. I learned that the creation account in Genesis was the origin for the idea of human rights in the West. And that biblical prophetic literature rang with calls for justice. Years afterwards, I discovered that the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 60s that I so admired was grounded much more in the African-American church's Christian views of sin and salvation than in secularism. That's Pastor Tim Keller, pastor in New York City for many years, just passed on recently. And as I read world history and as I looked through all the different cultures through history, I'm just like, man, we didn't have this idea of human rights even in the first place. Like the idea that humans are born with dignity and worth and that God's given us this holistic picture of justice to work towards, this wholeness in creation that's been marred, that we need to work back towards. Like, this is a distinctly Christian idea. One person I know was talking about, you know, bringing your ideas to the public sphere. This is a, a, a pastor I know in Canada. And she said, you know, when I talk to my friends who aren't Christian, um, we're, it's, we're in a pluralist society. So she says, you know, like, you get to be fully you, and you get to tell me exactly what you think, but I also get to be fully me. And I get to tell you what I think, right? This is who I am as a Christian, and this is what God says. You get to be fully you, I get to be fully me. 
uh, but I'm not going to shy away from what my faith tells me in this conversation. And here's a quote about that. See if you can guess who said this before we get to the, get to the end. Secularists are wrong when they ask believers to leave their religion at the door before entering into the public square. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, William Jennings Bryan, Dorothy Day, Martin Luther King, indeed the majority of great reformers in American history, were not only motivated by faith, but repeatedly used religious language to argue their cause. So to say that men and women should not inject their personal morality into public policy debates is a practical absurdity. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Our law is by definition a codification of morality, much of it grounded in the Judeo-Christian tradition. That was President Barack Obama. What God says in the Bible for justice in creation through his people Israel as we get into Jesus Christ and the early church and leading to eternity is what as Christians is our foundation. It's what we look at when God defines justice. And so we have passages like this in Psalm 146. This is what God does. He executes justice for the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sights to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. There's a passage in Deuteronomy we'll read next, and this is God introducing himself. This is who God says he is. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. That's God's introduction to himself. That's like me saying, hi, I'm Meredith. I'm from Sault Ste. Marie. I like coffee, and I want to go for a hike. Like, this is what I'm all about, right? This is who God's about. This isn't a cultural idea that we have of justice we put on God. This is God saying, this is who I am. And by extension, in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Bible, who he wants his people to be. And so there's a special care here for poor and the vulnerable. This reflects God's character and shows how he cares about the poor and the vulnerable. Sometimes they talk about in the Bible this quartet of the vulnerable, right? Widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. God has a special care and concern. And the mo- probably one of the most famous um, verses on justice, right, is Micah 6, verse 8, right? Talking about what does the Lord God require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The whole book of Micah is God calling his people back and saying, you know, you've been unfaithful to me. You've cheated me. You haven't given me what should have been in my storehouse for to worship me and provide for the poor. And you've done things that are unfaithful to me and don't love me. I want you to do. This is what I require. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. So to walk humbly with God is to take on the backpack. Okay, I'm your follower. I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to become who you are. God, I, I, I want to reflect your character. I want to reflect your heart to the world. So do justice and love mercy. And that may seem to be different things in the first place, but it's not. There's two big Hebrew words when it comes to justice. And the one that we're going to start with here is mishpat. Mishpat is making things right. Over 200 times in the Old Testament, this is treating people equitably. Fairness, equity, punishing wrongs, giving people their rights, giving people their due. When something is wrong, restoring it. When something isn't right, making it right. And so again, 200 times in the Old Testament, we have this idea of mishpat. God wants us to be people of mishpat. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 22.3. 
do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the immigrant, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Again, the idea that the widow or the orphan would have rights, that's something that is so unique to God's perspective and is in such contrast to the cultures of their day and through history. God wants us to care because of who he's made people to be with dignity. There's dignity inherent from the start, how God's made us to be. Again, very different than when you get into, say, Roman society, right, where the more power you had, the more rights you had. But if you were a slave, you didn't have any power or any rights, or even the same idea that you had the same humanity as everybody else. This is a uniquely Christian idea that God has a special care for the poor and the powerless. And so when you go to different cultures um, where atrocities have happened over time, right? In the last two weeks, I was, you know, just going through some different things and different um, dark times in history. And uh, what stood out to me was two different killing trees in two different cultures. Um, one was in Uganda, where child soldiers, um, and again, this is a, a, tough, a tough image, so if you need to plug your ears or tune up for the next 30 seconds, you can. Um, or child soldiers would tie babies to trees and beat them with sticks until they die. And another one in Vietnam, where that killing tree, they would take the babies and slam them into the tree until they died. And in both these cultures, my God, do we need mishpat. My God, do we need things made right. This is wrong. And it doesn't matter that people were powerless or of the wrong culture. There is a human dignity that was violated here. There is a human right to live that has been violated here. And when we see injustice, we go, my God, we need mishpat. My God, this isn't right. So we call for justice because we go, man, these things are not right at all. I was looking a bit at the Chinese Christianity as well and looking at a couple authors um, talking about how Christianity spread in China. Um, one had a comment here that said, in political and social fields, values such as freedom, human rights, tolerance, and fairness cannot detach themselves from God and reason to possess true meaning. You don't get these things without going to God first. You don't get these things with the unique, without, without the uniqueness of Christianity breaking in and saying, every human life has dignity. And when there's not things that are right, God calls for mishpat, regardless of what we do. But mishpat's just a restoration of what's been broken, right? And if we only think that justice is righting wrongs or fixing what's not right or taking the really bad atrocities and getting judgment for them, we're going to miss a bigger picture of righteousness. Because there's another word in Hebrew for what it means to do justice, for what it means to have what God calls us to have for a just and righteous character. And it's this, sadakwa. Like any other ancient Hebrew, just pronounce it really confidently, and you probably got it half right, right? Sadakwa. This is shalom, right? This is day-to-day -day living rightly, conducting all relationships with fairness, generosity, and equity. Harmony, shalom, and flourishing. See, if you have sadakwa, you don't need mishpat. This is the proactive justice, right? This isn't the restorative justice. This is how God has created us to live and how he calls us Carry the backpack. It's part of who we are because it's part of who he is. God calls us to be people of Zadakwa. And often when you see the word righteousness in the Old Testament, this is the word that you're going to see that's translated. 
So when you see justice and righteousness, that pairing that occurs about 30 times in the Old Testament, that's because God wants mishpat and sadaqah. He wants restorative justice and proactive justice. He wants the fixing of what's wrong, and he wants us to live right in the first place because of who he is. Not because we're trying to reach a standard that can't be reached, but because he has given us the Bible. He's given us a revelation of himself. And as New Testament Christians, he's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to live in this way, to be able to live in grateful response to what he's done for us, to empower us to be people of justice and righteousness. So if Mishpat is like the fixing justice, the rectifying justice, Sadaqwa is the primary justice. God wants people who live in justice in the first place. So this includes generosity, right? Just one thing, to be generous people, to provide for people around us. It includes fairness. The things that are God's character that come out in the fruit of the Spirit, right? And I love how in the Old Testament, God both says things like, you know, if everybody lives with Sadaqwa, we're not going to need to have Mishpat. Even as he's giving the Old Testament laws and the Mosaic laws, we did a series a few months ago called The Good Life. And he says, there does not need to be any poor people among you. And then a few verses later, he says, but because there will be poor people, because there won't always be Sadaqwa, here's some rules about how people can glean on the edges of the field. Here's how you can tithe um, part of your income to have something to give to people. Here's the ways we provide for people because there will not always be Sadaqwa. God gave ways in the Old Testament for righteousness to happen, understanding that we're going to live into a fallen world until he comes again. And I really like what uh, Andy Crouch wrote in um, Playing God. It's a book on power, probably one of the best books on power that I've read in the past, probably in the past decade. Um, but he's, he's trying to bring it into the, into the modern uh, era, or I guess post, postmodern era. And he's like, so what does that mean now? You know, if in the Old Testament you could leave margins at the edge of your field to glean, people could come and get grain, and if they didn't have anything to eat, they'd have a way to do that with dignity and with their own initiative and their own work. Like, what does that mean now? What kind of margins can we leave at the edges of, of our modern economic sectors? Because we don't want to just give people handouts. That's not the most dignifying option. But what would it mean for Christians to think creatively? How can people have meaningful work, find dignity, and find provision in God's heart? And again, this is very different than the old um, cultures that, that Israel is in. It was very di different than the, the New Testament Roman culture. And this is going to be different than the culture that we're in now. It's called to justice and righteousness. When we get to the New Testament in Jesus, right, Jesus cared specially, right, for widows and orphans and the poor. That even as Jesus traveled and he was provided for, right, by wealthy people, especially many wealthy women that provided for him and traveled with him, um, they, had the, they had a common purse, and they would give money to the poor out of that. And it's even referenced, right, where Judas is talking to Jesus and somebody, you know, broken the perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. And Jesus is like, oh, man, like, couldn't that have been given to the poor? And, of course, Jesus chastises Judas and says, you know, this is for my burial. This person's done a beautiful thing to me. But there was a habit, right, that they would give to the poor out of what they were given. But Jesus didn't just give money, didn't just heal people. He hung out with people no matter who they were. He hung out with people of different cultures. He healed people who were Samaritans and lepers and of the wrong culture and of the wrong gender. He went to wells and spoke to women, which wasn't culturally appropriate at the time. 
Jesus was someone who cared about children, right? And when his disciples said, you're too important for this, he said, no, no, let them come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so Jesus not only talked about this, but he lived it out. He lived prophetically as a sign of this is who God is. And as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus showed this is God's heart. This is what God intends. This is what God cares about. Jesus says in Luke 14, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now, again, from Tim Keller, Jesus isn't saying literally that you should never go to dinner with your friends. <laughs> Jesus ate a lot of meals with his friends, right? He had a lot of dinners at people's houses. But he's talking about how do we allocate our resources? Do we only host those who can pay us back? Or do we use our homes, our money, our finances to show God's hospitality, God's agape, God's love, God's justice to those who can never do that in return? People who host refugees, right, in their houses, they're not going to be paid back for that in this life. But God sees, right? We take care of kids that we know. We reach out to somebody who's elderly and can't get out of their house. We give money to people, to organizations to feed people or to house them or to clothe them. We're not doing it because that person's going to pay us back. We're doing it because it's God's heart. That's who God is. And we just want to carry the backpack. Not perform it, not throw it to the side, but just carry what God's called us to carry as his people. So when you get to Acts, we have a picture of the church. And as the church forms, they provide for their members. They actually have to organize people who are deacons to take care of providing for all the widows so the pastors aren't distracted from their work. The beginning of Acts is wild, man. If you just like haven't read the first four chapters recently, like just go ahead and read those first four chapters. It's amazing. But what they said there was there was no needy persons among them. And this is a throwback to Deuteronomy. Because in Deuteronomy, God's like, there shouldn't be any poor people among you. But because there will be, i got to put in all these rules. And then it acts you get to the church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no needy people among them. God did by the Holy Spirit what couldn't be done by the law. God's changed hearts. I mean, it's attentive to what each other's needs. Even in this church, as we have a, um, an elderly Finnish language congregation. They meet uh, about an hour after we do. They're going to meet at about 1130 today. There's a lot of times where they're, they, at this, this point in their, in their lives, they need things, right? They need help with volunteers, or they need rides, or they need encouragement. We don't give those things because we're like, man, they're going to pay us back. We're going to give those things because that's God's heart, right? God wants to care for people. We want to make sure that we're caring among people in the church, as God's called us to as we start that. This is scriptural, and this is biblical. But what about some other practical things? How do we carry this in our daily lives? I'm going to just give us four fairly quick ideas. I think that you know, they're scriptural. They come out of the sermon series, and we probably heard them taught on before. But this is four ways we can carry what God's called us to do, what he's shown in creation and his people and Jesus and the New Testament, that he wants us to carry as people of justice. So it's not exhaustive, but it's just, it's just some main, main skeleton here that we can hang what we do on. The first thing is stewardship and margin. We need to steward our finances and our time so there's some left over. Just as in the Old Testament, they were supposed to leave some margin around their fields so people could have grain. 
and tithe for the poor, just as in the New Testament people would sell their things and bring them with generosity, we can't pack our budgets or our schedules so full that we don't have time to care for people, either by not giving God what he's due in the first place with our finances, or by not having a spare minute that we can give somebody a ride or help them out. The principle of margin still applies. And I, you know what? This is something that I think took me the longest to get. Because there were so many years where I packed my schedule so full. I would pack everything just so full time-wise. I give God the money, and that, that wasn't a, an issue so much with my heart. But I was like, I just got to maximize my efficiency. And I missed opportunities. And then several years ago when I was in Hamilton, Jared and I had a summer where one of us had full-time work. I think the summer before, I'd worked full-time, and he'd worked part-time. And that summer, he had full-time work. We were doing okay financially. And I just found a part-time job. And I'm like, you know what? I think for the summer, God's calling me to be okay with that. I mean, I still had student loans to pay off. Things weren't, like, amazing. But there was enough. And I'm like, I think the time margin is what God's calling me to. So I went to literally around the corner, like 300 meters away, the Salvation Army had this church on Sundays and coffee shop during the week. And I said, do you guys need volunteers? And they did that summer. So that summer I just volunteered, I think, one or two shifts a week and used my margin to say, how do I serve the city? How do I make this third space where people can come in off the street, whether they're paying customers or not, and use the space? And bless one of the poorest neighborhoods in Canada, I think the third poorest neighborhood in Canada at the time. And if I hadn't left the margin, that opportunity wouldn't have come up, Right? I'm sure many of us can think of that in smaller ways, right? We've been so busy that forget the time, we just don't even have the emotional margin to have a conversation, right? To send that encouraging text or to tell somebody what God's speaking through it. But God calls us to be people of margin. And so if, like me, you need to learn that lesson, I'd encourage you to learn it. That uh, God wants our finances and our time to be ones where we leave margin, just as he called his Old Testament people to do that. Um, the second thing is relief, Right? This is what sometimes we call downstream charity, right? If there's been victims of a war or of terrorism or of a drought, we provide relief. And sometimes we can kind of, I don't know, poo-poo this, right? Because we're like, oh, it's just treating the symptoms. Yes, but you need to help the people who are suffering right now, right? If people are starving, giving them food makes a difference, right? If people are suffering because of war and displacement, providing housing makes a difference, People have had to flee their country. A place to stay makes a difference. And then we get to development, right? It's the upstream side. It's, okay, yeah, we've, we fished these people out of the river, but who threw them in in the first place, right? How do we go upstream and say, let's look at some of the causes of this? How do we help empower people, encourage people, not take over for them, because we don't want to do that, right? That's been done in some bad ways. But again, how do we help do justice, foster justice, encourage justice so that we don't have the consequences and the effects that we're always providing relief for. And then there's the idea of social reform, right? Just the larger social aspect of this. And again, I encourage us two things about this. God cares about the societies we live in. He wants us to influence the societies we live in, be salt and light. And he wants us to do it according to his will and his ways. Not according to the morals and ideals around us, first and foremost, by what God calls for. His mishpat, his justice, his righteousness. And so as we conclude, we're going to watch a video, just 
get a practical illustration of what one church is doing in Toronto, the one church that's helping address the refugees that came to them. And then we're going to close with the prayer of St. Francis, which is one that says, God, make me an instrument of your peace. And I'd encourage you. Um, where have you been with the backpack? Is it something you've just picked up once in a while and said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to do justice today? Have you made justice more of a show than a part of who you are? Or, you know, fair enough for some of us, we haven't been so sure about justice. Maybe it's already something that you wear because you know that this is who God calls us to be. But wherever you've been, wherever it comes from, I would encourage you, put on the backpack today. Do what God's called us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know Jesus yet, if you haven't met him, I want to encourage you that he's a good God who loves you. He wants to save us from our sins, from our injustice, and make us people of Mishpat and Sadaqwa. We can live with him in eternity. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, watch the last video. God, thank you for who you are. It's you who made a good world, and it's you who, when sin threw that off, God, when sin destroyed things, when sin created injustice, you gave your own son to die for our sins and to pay the penalty for our rebellion, that we can live for you, we can live in righteousness. So God, first of all, we thank you. And God, we, we confess that we are not always people of righteousness. We ask again that you search our hearts, Lord, and you bring to heart, Lord, bring to mind anything that we need to confess. God, we trust in you to forgive us, and we trust in you to make us people who reflect your heart. So God, first of all, I pray, Lord, if anybody doesn't know you, that they would accept you, God, as their Savior. You are the one that wants to make us clean and then to make us your ambassadors, your people of righteousness in the world. You would do that today. And God, for all of us that know you, been walking with you, just continue to form us into people that carry this backpack, that are people of justice. In Jesus' name, amen. One of our fantastic local churches in Toronto, uh, all of a sudden there's a crisis where these people who have just moved to Canada don't have a place to sleep. Mm -hmm. They don't have a place to go uh, because the infrastructure has fallen through with the government. And so you have responded and taken in. So tell me about how this came about, uh, where you guys are at now yeah. uh, with the refugees here. Yeah, so I was going to the church and I got a, a phone call from one of the Ugandan community members that he says, Pastor, I don't know if you know, but there are many people, our brothers and sisters, who have been living on the street for a few days now. When I called him around one o'clock after the service, he had said before that there were four people. But when I called him at one o'clock, he said, no, no, Pastor, it's not four people now. It's 25 people. Wow. I said, Fred, what are you talking about? We, I cannot take 25 people to my house. Uh, so we now had to think outside of the box. So we called a Zoom meeting, emergency Zoom meeting. 200 people attended it. Wow. In that meeting, I was making an appeal, and only one appeal I was making. Is there anyone who is willing to open up their door to take at least one person? We got 23 people. 
going into people's homes that that night. I took the two home, 23 were uh, distributed into people's homes, total strangers. And mm. uh, for me, that will always bless me because mm. I know that I was taking a risk. The people that were going into people's homes don't know where they are going. Mm -hmm. The people that are receiving the people, they don't know what stranger they are receiving. But because the church was the one asking, everybody did it with wow. one heart. Yeah. So this is the sanctuary. On Sunday, we piled everything up in one corner put all the chairs back, had service, cleaned up after service, put beds back down here. So this is the sanctuary. It is also the sleeping quarters for our guests. And tell me how many refugees would be here right now? Um, at this point, we're at about 132. Every few days we get uh, some people placed. The thing is, maybe four people get placed, we get six more. How can some churches that are watching this, what could they do to help? The need is big. Mm -hmm. So we need cots, we need to feed people. The, the, the need for food is huge because we have to provide breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner. That kind of support will be greatly appreciated. So I'm requesting all of you brothers and sisters to pray for us for strength. I've been here three weeks straight. I've never taken a day off. I'm here at least 12 hours. It's not by my strength, it's not by my might, but it's by the grace of God. So pray for us that we're strong. Pray for the residents that we have in this place. They're in a new country, they're scared. They don't know the systems. This is a whole new land. And, and the way things work here is so different. So I'm requesting that you pray for strength, for energy, for wisdom, and for the leadership of uh, this church and all the donors and volunteers that we have that have been so gracious to lend a hand. Amen. That's so good. Uh, if we can be in prayer for amazing saints yeah. like this that are just working and serving and making a difference in our churches. Thank you so much Thank you. for your work. Thank you, Pastor I appreciate Jason. it. with me let's pray for them and then we'll say the prayer of saint francis together uh lord we just pray for uh pastor eddie and for miriam and dominion church um thank you for the churches that have connected with them and the people that have been placed lord uh just continue god as they've been doing this for months now uh encourage them give them the finances they need and um lord just that people would come to know not only a good life in canada god but that they would come to know you as their savior uh because you are the one who's motivating this and that you want everybody to know your heart and that you are a God of justice. I pray, Lord, that you would make this church, God, into your instrument of justice, God, uh, because of who you are and just of how good you are. In Jesus' name. So let's read this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. So today I encourage you, go with God. And as we see our uh, Finnish congregation come in, I also encourage you to grab a cup of coffee and give an encouraging word to them. Take care.